Morning, everyone. How you doing? Good to hear. Uh, so, uh, Tom is right. We had kind of always planned for this to be a two-part message, but I actually just didn't get to finish part one. So I'm going to run it through real quick uh, in a moment. But uh, from the outset, I want to say that um, this message is about us as a village. It's not about one individual age group. It's not about children. It's not about parents. It's not about any one particular age group. It's about us as a village. And I just, as we were worshiping, I just, um, I just felt real, really, really stirred to you know. The saying that goes, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. But we've built fences around our houses, and we no longer live in a village. But God intended us to be a family. You may not know the person sitting next to you, beside you, in front of you, behind you, particularly well, but we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are God's family, and he intended us to support one another. He intended us to be there for one another. He intended us to love one another. Um, Can I have my next photo? Slide, please. This is from the baptisms last week, and I don't know about you, but... Me and Tom walked out of the water afterwards, and we're like, wow. I think that was church. And, and that doesn't even show everybody. There's more people over there. There's more people in the water. There's people sitting up on the hill. Uh, that's the village. And the village came out, and the village baptized, and the village prayed, and the village supported. And if you weren't there, I'm sorry that you weren't there. But next time, be there, because that is church. As a point of reference, can you please put up your hand if you have either immigrated to Blenheim or New Zealand and you have no biological family in this town other than the ones you, uh, you know, your immediate family. Please raise your hand. I want everyone to look around, please. That's a lot of people in this room that have no biological family living here. We are the family. We are meant to be the support. We are meant to be the ones that you call. You know when, you, when, you, when you're having a bad day and you call your mum. <laughs> I did live here without my mum, so I know what it's like. You call your mum like, mum, <laughs> these kids are driving me crazy. Can you have them? Or, or, or can we go out for coffee? That's why you do a lot when my kids were little. And if you don't have your biological family here, it's hard to just call anyone to say that. But what I want to say to us all collectively is let's be that for one another. Let's be the person that can be called when times are hard. Let's be the person that looks out for someone else. Let's be the people that can support one another. Let's be the village. Let's be the family. We're all in this together, right? So as we looked around, I encourage you to build relationships with someone. Adopt a grandparent. Adopt a family. Be people's support network. We're actually a bigger church. We're not a little provincial church. We're a big church. And I don't know, I don't necessarily speak for every pastoral staff member, but we, the pastoral staff can't do it all. You, we're a family and you need, we need to look after the family. So I encourage you to pray for that. God, show me the people that you want me. You know, like, obviously, you can't be close to everybody. 
But if everybody has someone close to them in the family, then we're all close to each other. My quick five points from last week, I am really literally going to go through them quickly, was it was all about how to raise your kids to know Jesus, but equally, if you're not raising children, it was all about how to show people that do not know Jesus, Jesus. It was all about growing the village with people getting saved. It's all about raising our children to live for Jesus. So point number one was pursue him for him. Have genuine faith in God. Want him, need him desperately. Number two was demonstrate relationship with Jesus. Let your kids and everyone around you see it. Choose joy in hard times that your kids will see your relationship and dependence on God. Number three was don't be perfect. Be real. Admit when you're wrong. Admit when you've failed. Your kids learn more from your weaknesses than they do from your pride. I know as parents, it can be hard. And you know, my, one of my kids sent me a reel, and it was like, be kind to your mum. She's living for the first time too. Has <laughs> anyone considered that? <laughs> your mum is parenting teenagers for the first time ever. Your mum is, you know, parenting small people for the first time ever. Your mum is dealing with whatever she's dealing with for the first time ever. She hasn't been here before. And dad, but equally your children, your children living life for the first time. They haven't been a teenager before. They are their teenagers, you know. Be kind to everybody. Number four, pray and declare. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't hope and dream. Don't wish upon a star that your children will follow Jesus. Pray for it and declare it and declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My last point, which I ran out of time for, which is a little bit abstract, so I'm going to need to explain it a little bit, was cheer the butterfly. Be your children's greatest cheerleader. Cheer the butterfly even when they act like a caterpillar. If you can't see the butterfly inside your child, they will always be a caterpillar. Equally, if you can't see the butterfly, the good things in you, you'll always be the caterpillar too. It's, you know, the power of positive thoughts and all, all that kind of stuff. But declare, cheer, cheer the butterfly. It's true for our kids, it's true for us, it's true for people around us. If you work with someone who's pretty annoying, acting pretty caterpillarish, find something good and share it. Share the butterfly and people around you. Be the encourager. You know, even before our kids could read, we would write them these big novels and their birthday cards. They can't even read Cam's handwriting. I can't even read Cam's handwriting. <laughs> we still can't read Cam's handwriting, but he still writes a novel in the card. He used to say, can I just write ditto when I would write my thing? But share the butterfly. Pull out the good qualities in your kids, the things that, that you see in them, even those things that make them really hard to raise like being strong-willed or being fierce or being, having a strong sense of justice, stubborn, loud, driven. Those things in our children are hard to raise, but in the world, that's what you want your, your actual adult children to be. You don't want, you know, the obedient child is wonderful. The quiet, obedient, compliant child that follows everything that you want them to do is much easier to raise than the strong-willed, speak-your-mind one. But do you, want to, do you want to send out a compliant, obedient, follow everybody adult out into the world? No, we don't. Cheer the good. Direct the good. Sow the seeds that are fearfully and wonderfully made. Sow them in your own heart. Sow them in people around you. Sow them in your children because the world is telling us otherwise. 
Sow the seed in your children that they are fearfully and wonderfully made because everywhere around them they're bombarded with the fact that they're not. The world is consistently telling us otherwise. Rave about the good things that God has for them, the huge plans that are so seeds in their hearts that God is going to use them, sowed seeds of the good plans that he has for their lives, for good and not for evil, the plans for a hope and a future. Call out the good, cheer the butterfly, even when the good things don't seem good. As a side note, when my kids were quite young, I, used to, well, I still pray for them, but when my kids were quite young, I had this like quite strong mantra of prayer that I would pray, and God spoke to me so clearly, and I would pray I'm like, God, I pray that they would be leaders and not followers. I pray that they would be strong and they would speak their mind. I pray they'd stand up for what they believe. And anyone know my children? <laughs> God works. <laughs> I pray that they wouldn't bow to pre pressure. And God so clearly said to me, I feel like he was mocking me a little bit. He so clearly said to me, and you want them all to live together under one roof in harmony. I kind of wish I knew that song, you know, Miracle Power. I could have said it back to him. I believe in the miracle power of the wonder-working God. You can do it, God, right? <laughs> some things that we parent, some th- people that we have to live with, not necessarily because they're our children, but work with, they can be hard to be with. Some qualities in people can be hard to parent. But a lot of those hard things are God's gifts in your children to be nurtured to be called out the good. If you know me and my family at all, God bless you for still loving us. <laughs> no. You know, you know, if you know my family at all, you know that we are uh, known for our open conversations. We kind of talk about everything, and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed about that, and I'm pretty sure my kids aren't either. But I would like to say that it's intentional, You know, I have a lot of funny stories, which most of them I can't share. (laughs) But it's intentional that we talk about things. I think you need to talk about things because do you know what? Those things are being talked about to your children, around your children, in in the social media, in school, in movies, in music. Oh, my gosh, have you heard some of the music lately? It's so bad. At least if you talk about things at home, you get to frame it. You get to put in a godly perspective. You get to put in your two cents worth. You get to impart morals. You get to give a godly perspective. You get to lay the foundation. Because you know what? If you don't lay the foundation, somebody else will. And it'll probably be social media. It'll probably be some idiot YouTuber or somebody at school that doesn't know enough about anything or some music lyrics. Today I felt more that we were to less focused on um, specifically raising our children, but if we don't do it with intention and purpose, we won't have anything good to leave them. We don't need to be perfect, but we do need to be purposeful. So my question today is, what is the difference between leaving a history of faith in your family or a legacy of faith? Are we leaving our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids the fact that somewhere back in history, somewhere back in our bloodline, someone somewhere had faith? Or are we leaving people around us, not just our children, a legacy of faith, something that you can draw on? Or is it a dusty book in the corner? 
I researched a little bit the difference between legacy and inheritance and history. The dictionary difference between the words legacy and inheritance were really just the same thing. Legacy is something left or handed down by a predecessor. Inheritance is something you inherited. Legacy is something left. Inheritance is something gained. Same thing from a different angle, right? Though Though that's the dictionary definition is there is a strong idea that legacy is something greater than a thing left behind. Inheritance is something you leave someone, an estate, an asset base, a portfolio. But a legacy is something you leave inside someone. It has to be intentional. You have to put it down, and they have to be instructed to pick it up. We want to leave behind not just an inheritance, but a legacy. The saying goes, you know, if you teach it, you can teach. You can either give a child a fish or you can teach a child how to fish. An inheritance is leaving a fish. A legacy is leaving them a knowledge of how to fish. Inheritance is something you leave. A legacy is something you place in someone. We need to impart life and values. We need to stand, something for them to stand on. When you leave behind an inheritance, it's temporary. They are temporarily satisfied. They are temporarily happy. But when you leave an a legacy, they are permanently transformed. We can't just be satisfying our children. But how? How do we do that? I want more than anything in the whole world for my children to live for Jesus. I want more than anything for their lives to be connected to the Prince of Peace. I want more than anything in my my life for my children to have a legacy of faith. And the second thing I want more is to help other people do it too. It's the law of exposure. Who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become, what they believe. We need to parent on purpose. We need to live as Christians on purpose. We need to live our life. We don't need to just survive. and We need to thrive and live on purpose so that everybody around us sees the Jesus that we know. I said this last week. It's a Craig Groeschel quote the other week. We can't force our kids to love God, but we can expose them to people and experiences that increase the likelihood of spiritual growth. I've been reading a book by uh, Andy and, uh, what's her name, Sandra Stanley. Called, it's called Parenting, Getting It Right. But what is it? You know, I, mean, I mean, it's a fair question. You know, when we talk about getting it right, we actually have to know what it is. We're talking about being a Christian, getting it right. What is, what is it? What is it? For my family, when it comes to parenting, getting it right, our, our, it has always been faith, character, and relationship. We're, we're a don't sweat the small stuff kind of people. I don't, I don't care about ripped jeans or dyed hair, earrings, nose rings, whatever. In my opinion, it's our heart that counts more. If you don't define and choose your it as a human being, as a parent, it will be chosen for you. The world will define it. Your children will define it. Quote from the book by Andy and Sandra Stanley. Our observation is that most parents are so busy parenting, they've never stopped to consider what they are parenting to, what they are parenting for, Too busy to stop and consider the end game, the goal, the prize, the win. 
like I said before, you could say that about life too, in relation to your, to your faith. We're too busy working, we're too busy living, we're too busy surviving, but what are we doing it for? What would you consider to be a life's win? What would you consider to be a life's goal in your faith? Is it to earn enough money to drive a nice car, to have a nice house, to have nice food, to have nice holidays? Or is your life's goal and your life's desire to shine Jesus, to go out and make disciples of all people? The word inheritance is used more than 200 times in the Bible. Many of those times in the Old Testament where it just talks about who will inherit something from someone, land, etc. A lot of those verses are not very exciting. They just explain who gets what if someone dies. But in Proverbs 13, verse 22, would be probably one of the most well-known verses about inheritance. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But as we make our way through the verses, there's a change. The Bible very clearly makes a change from things to be inherited to something that we have access to spiritually. Psalm 2, verse... It's probably more than one verse. Sorry, it says eight here, but it's probably more than that. The king, proclaims, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I will become your father. Only ask and, it will be, and I will give, it, give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Psalm 16 verse 5, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The New Testament continues to make a shift from the intent of the word, from talking about family members and wealth and inheritance to but to an inheritance that God gives us as followers, all of us as followers. In Ephesians 1, Paul talks about the many spiritual blessings that come from being a son or a daughter of God. If you read the whole chapter in your own time in Ephesians 1, but verse 11 says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. He, for he chose us in advance. He makes Everything work out according to his plan. Verse 14, the spirit, of, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inher- the inheritance he has promised, that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Hebrews chapter 9 t- starts talking about the difference between the rules and the practices of being a Christian. The Old Testament compared to the New Testament, now that Jesus has died on the cross and made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Verse 15, that is why he is the one who meditates on a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive an eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set set them free from the penalty of sins they have committed under the first covenant. In order for my children, your children, to partake in inheritance for for the believers, they have to receive something first. They have to receive Jesus into their lives. They have to confess their sin. They have to become Christians. If you're a young person in this room and you have a, you have a legacy of faith in your life. You have a fam- family, family of faith ahead of you, uh, behind you. Ugh. You still have to make a decision to follow Jesus. 
you still have to call him your Lord and Savior. You still have to make a step. When we as believers dig a well of relationship, when we dig a well of intimacy with God, when we as believers dig a well in prayer, we dig something that will last, not only for our children, but for everybody around us. For the people we work with, for our extended family, for our friends. When we dig a well, we can't help but drink from water that never runs dry and that can't help but come out from us. For there to be inheritance of faith, there needs to be something left. We have to be doing more than just getting by. For our children to be influenced by our faith, what we've done in the past, our zealous youth, our serving in the church, because we've done our time, means nothing to our kids' walk. For influence to happen, they need to see it, they need to experience it. The difference between legacy of faith that's passed on and a history of faith that is old and dusty is what is seen. To give our kids a legacy of faith, they need to see our faith in action. They need to see our faith in action in our life. They need to see us attending church as a priority. They need to see us still zealous even though we're no longer in our youth. They need to see us worshiping God in church and in home. They need to see us reading the Bible and serving in the kingdom. They need to see you stepping out in faith and believing God. They need to see us choosing joy when everything else is terrible. They need to see us walking with the Lord and believing him. Otherwise, our relationship with God is some dusty history that maybe they'll read in a journal when you've passed away. The dictionary definition of the word history is a whole series of, of a whole series of past events connected with a particular person or, or thing, an eventful past, or something a little bit more inf informal, something that happened and ended a long time ago that is not important now. A person who was important but is not important now, although they were in the past. We don't want to leave a history that is not important now. Deuteronomy 6 verse 10 says, The Lord your God will bring you into the land he promised to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he will, he will give it to you. A land, the land has large growing cities you did not build, houses full of things you did not buy, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. You will eat as much as you want, but be careful. Do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt when you were slaves, where you were slaves. Respect the Lord your God. You must worship him and make your promises only to his name. Isn't that what we want for our children? That they will drink from wells they did not necessarily have to dig? Isn't that what we want from people around us? That they would receive Jesus from a well that they did not necessarily have to dig? I got very excited when I realized, probably way too late in the piece, that that scripture was directly followed by the scripture I preached about last week. Teach, you know, listen all of Israel, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, listen all of Israel, the Lord your God, listen, sorry, me and reading are not particularly great friends. Talking, I can do. Reading. 
Listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Always remember these commandments I give you today. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home, walk, when you walk along, walk along the street, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them down. Tie them on your hands as a sign. Tie them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on your doorposts and gates. It said, listen, all of Israel. It did not say, like I said the other week, it did not say, listen, parents. It said, listen, all of Israel. That's saying, listen, all of the church. Let's make sure our children, but not just our children. We're all children. Make sure our children know about God, know about his promises, know about the things he's done in our lives. Make sure we, as the village, as his family, that we, all of Israel, know what God has done. It's a collective responsibility. As believers, it's our inheritance to drink from a source that never runs dry. As parents and believers, it's for us to impart a legacy of faith for them to carry that gets them to a well that never runs dry. When we as Christians simply draw water from another person's well on a Sunday when we come to church, just to get ourselves by for the week is not enough. We have to dig a well that sustains us for weeks, months, years, generations of our families to give them an inheritance that lasts. I know many of you now have grown up children who may not be serving God right now. It is never too late to dig your well. It is never too late, and I'm not saying you haven't been doing it, but I want to encourage you to carry on. Carry on digging your well, but now as they're growing up, your well is probably more in prayer. Pray for your children every day. Pray for their lives. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they would meet someone, maybe someone else in your village that is shining the light of Jesus. Maybe someone here works with one of your adult children, and that person can shine the light of Jesus into your child's life. Keep digging the well of prayer that your children would one day know him. I don't even know where I'm up to. <laughs> when it comes to character and faith, I read something in the Sticky Faith book that I really, um, I read a lot of books about parenting and, and faith combined. This I've skipped some, by the way, if you're on slides, sorry. Teach your children to trust God ahead of obeying God. If your kids will conform to what was in our family, go to church, obey God, be kind, without trust and relationship, they will conform to the next atmosphere they find themselves in. We don't want our children to conform, we want our children to be transformed. For our children to be transformed, we need to be transformed. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. When we, we need to teach, what we need to teach our kids isn't about information, it's about transformation. If a building confines your faith, if you're going, attendance to church confines your faith and your children can't see your faith anywhere else other than in church, one day... When your children walk away from your home and your home church, they will see no relevance of faith in their lives. So 
So one day when they walk away from our homes, from this home church as they go off to study somewhere else, we want their faith to be defined. Their faith will not be defined by what they do, but instead be determined by who they love. That your faith will not be determined by what you do, you included, but by who you love. Because when you love someone, you do the things they want you to do. If you're a young person, a youth, an adult even here, and you do not have a legacy of faith to draw on, don't go home and go, oh, boo-hoo, I don't have a legacy. Start digging the well. Start digging the well in relationship with God now so that you may have a legacy to hand on to your future children, your future family, the people around you. Start now. If you are, I've already said it, but if you're a child who has the privilege of having Christian parents, Christian grandparents, live for Jesus. Don't sit back complacent and say, oh, well, they've already dug the well. I don't need to do anything. Live for Jesus. Stand on their shoulders. Go further. Go farer than they could ever hope and dream. Do everything that they have declared over your lives and more. The goal of parenthood is to raise children that are independent of you, but fully dependent on God. Can I have the band, please? I don't want anyone who's uh, not necessarily raising children right now to go away thinking that that message wasn't for them. But I do think that it's really important that as a church family, as a body, that we help equip parents because you know what? Parenting is the hardest job that anyone will ever have to do and the most important. We get trained for every other thing that we do in our lives. We get taught to drive. We get taught to uh, swim and um, eat. We got taught to eat and walk and read and write. But like I said the other week, you have a child and they're like, good luck, pat you on the back, it's so rewarding. It's rewarding, it absolutely is. It's the greatest joy of my life, but it's also really hard. And so I hope that as a body of Christ today, as, as the village together, we can have looked around to see the people that don't have biological family, that we can look around and we can start to be more of the village for everybody.